Hello everyone and welcome to Artist Date. My name is Pedro Bonato, this is Jana Komarnitska. And uh, in this show, usually we talk about art, about art creation, our life, living together and uh, traveling together. And for the last few episodes, we've been focusing more uh, on the war in, uh, in Ukraine because we were based in Ukraine for a few years before this um, uh, war started and of course it has impacted us directly and a lot of the people that we know and love and plus all the people we don't know but that are suffering from this today is the 64th yeah. day of the since the, the invasion this is sort of like will be unfortunately a, a theme for us throughout the foreseeable future but welcome to the show if you're new to the channel uh, well, welcome, and uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and to uh, get notifications about uh, whenever these episodes come out. Usually, we try to do it on Wednesdays or Thursdays. Try to be, we've been trying to be consistent for a little while, right? And uh, we can always uh, listen to this as a podcast. You can find it on uh, Spotify, Artist Date. You can go to um, yanadance.com slash artist date, and uh, so... Hello. Hello. <laughs> Very difficult to believe that it's 64 days already of different uh, life. Maybe for us, not that much, but mindset for sure. And uh, although we have been sort of vagabonding for the last few years, but uh, this current uh, trips or visits to like Istanbul and now to Brazil, they're kind of like with a different approach, yeah. let's say, like why and, and how and uh, reasons. Um, but all these events, they something that I have been thinking to talk about, it's mm. uh, also uh, shows a lot of uh, uh, weak points and blind spots in. Uh, your activity because in kind of like the crisis mode everything starts showing up like wherever something you haven't done we briefly mentioned about this in in previous episodes so something that you haven't done before or something that you have been postponing or just uh, didn't finally like fix now they all come kind of to surface and also uh just by coincidence but it was just on my mind for like recent times uh right now we are here in brazil and uh, we're here for a while so of course we are doing a lot of like daily routines like housekeeping routines going to groceries meeting people and we were talking uh recently you mentioned that in all conversations with uh, uh, people here, they whenever they hear us talking in English, or I don't, I am, I'm for now only learning Brazilian Portuguese, but I don't really speak it. <laughs> so we are communicating in English. So if people approach me, I say like, oh, I'm not local. So they're always impressed by the uh, English, uh, us speaking uh, English. Mm. freely and starts conversations about different countries where we lived Canada and I remember you were saying that all the conversations they have very similar patterns as if it's the same thing holds people from 
like going for what they want and it's like a blind spot like something that for us it's obvious it's just go and learn english or go research like the country like things but for many people it's a blind spot and we were thinking what are our blind spots yeah so just to give a little bit of context so you know what we mean by that it's uh um every week for since we came here like um, a month and change ago since we've been yeah. in brazil about a month um we are in the let's say i'd say middle of the country but on the in the coast side and in a city called vitoria and uh, in this city it's just a port town and um, whenever you go up from rio and up in brazil uh, you will find like a lot of like exotic fruits and you'll find all sorts of like and the delicious fish and all that and then for it's funny that for locals at least it sounds like okay it's just granted that's what you have and sometimes people don't even uh enjoy it that much but then for Jan it was like this a great experience it's one thing that we sort of every time we go to brazil uh there is this i say a farmer's market on saturdays and and we uh, go and stock up on uh, jacas and atemoyas and all these fruits that you basically only find here um and uh, and then when we uh, what we were saying is that as we walk there and the people for whatever reason in Brazil like usually people do not speak English in um, in general like everybody it's sort of like if you're in America and then you learn Spanish but you don't speak Spanish in Brazil it's sort of like you learn Portuguese you learn uh, English in school but you never speak in Ukraine it was sort of like that too like uh, people don't really at least mean at least they speak Russian and Ukrainian so they, at least they have two languages in Brazil usually people don't even speak Spanish even um, but then uh, what Janos mentioned that is uh, so interesting to observe because then I was doing most of the talking and translating and also for the local population she looks very exotic looking so oh she's not from here is the first thing people uh, tell me right and then when they hear us talking in English then they're usually like, oh, impressed. And it's like, oh, but you speak English so well and perfectly. I'm like, uh, actually, no, I have a very specific accent. I've just been speaking English for a long time. And for example, my and is a very, very Brazilian specific way of saying and. But, but the funny thing is that I noticed that every single person I talked to throughout the day, they would go and say, I have to learn English. Oh my God, it's so, um, uh, you speak so well, you translate very fast. I'm like, yeah, I translate fast because I've been translating for Yana for like years, like uh, whenever we go and do, and do stuff. So it's, it's a learned skill. And the thing that I always tell people actually living in other countries around the world and especially in Toronto that you had people from all over the world. So you see the spectrum of English speaking capabilities and approaches. And I was telling them even people on like, if you go to Istanbul, especially in the, uh, um, on the touristic centers, they will speak basically your language. They learn a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of Italian, and they have no problem in talking. In Brazil, everybody's obsessed with speaking completely perfectly and then of course they do not speak so they actually don't even even unperfectly and imperfectly i guess and uh <laughs> it was funny and then but they all have this obsession with the accent obsession with uh, there is this thing in brazil and again whenever i say there is this thing in the country in that country it's not saying that everybody's that way it's a, that there is a tendency mm -hmm. like that statistically likely that people will feel that way 
One of them is that, okay, I should be learning English. The second one is, oh, but they'll judge me by my, um, my accent, my imperfections and that stuff. And Brazil has this thing, which is very common in many countries that have been colonized by other countries, that they want to impress the world. There is even on the, jar not the jargon, but like on the zeitgeist of the country, there is this thing of like, oh, we are a joke outside because of this thing. And then I sometimes tell them, people do not pay attention or care. And you should not worry about what other countries think. This is basically my therapy for Brazil. Uh, and then uh, what I was, uh, just to finish off th this idea, is that I was thinking, okay, I'm not seeing this from the point of view of, ha, 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 look at this, my fellow countryman. That's not the point at all. The point was like, okay, but what are the blind spots that we have? Because I would tell everybody that says, oh, like you speak English nicely. And I said, yes, you can too, you just practice. Oh, but then you have to do this. No, 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 stay a month practicing watch movies and uh, and talk like whatever you need just lose your inhibition to actually learn that's the problem right and um then the the interesting thing that was that hmm, what are my blind spots what you were talking about what that i was thinking what am i doing that is so would be considered so dumb and easy to fix from the point of view of someone that has gone through that and that's usually the, the point that I uh, consider, especially for specifically for Brazil, and they assume for you, for Ukraine too, because you understand the mentality and you, if you're honest, you remember when you had that same, um, those same thoughts too, right? So it's one of those things that to me, I always try to tell people uh, here uh, for them to just go and learn. It will be good for you. You don't need to worry about your accent because everybody speaks with an accent you will not be able to to um, to get out of that and in the end it's actually sort of like cute and superpower like you just want to be mindful of the use of the language but uh, but it's an interesting thing and also like we generically said like when you start like conversation at least how you translated to me those conversations mm -hmm. you start seeing like specific nuances like people are trying to grab for that excuse of why it's difficult or why it's hard of course it's difficult like learning anything is difficult but difficult doesn't mean impossible and difficult doesn't mean that or oh, you can't do it or you shouldn't do it like if you want you just go and do but the thing was that it's so easy to see those blind spots in someone else from a side but it's so difficult to see your own and we all have our own like uh, blind spots and or silly things that we do or it's like even i was even thinking transferring it to like the idea like oh we very often in our lives all people we kind of deal with the same problems over and over and over again we're trying to overcome them we try to fix and then it shows up again and again and again and again it's like like why cannot we fix it it's because we do have some kind of blind spot and very often we are trying to keep doing the same thing that we have been doing, expecting different results. So it's kind of reminded me, I know it's slightly on a different like edges of the idea, but it's kind of reminded like, yeah, if you want to learn English, just go and learn, like start taking actual actions. But it's not about language right now. It's the whole idea of if you want to get something better, or something fixed or just different start doing different things yeah it's um, 
And I guess like for me, like uh, the way that I was thinking about this after I, I mentioned the scene of Han, like people with the same things like throughout the in the city throughout the day, throughout the days, you would see people saying the same things. Um, and it was not on the, that farmer's market. No, 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 it was everywhere. A story that just everywhere, like we yeah. because that's... Even family, like, yeah. is the same, like, oh, I have to learn. And, yeah, and that, and then, of course, we, of course, because you are from abroad, there are certain themes that will come up, right? One of them is, like, a lot of people wanting to leave Brazil, right? And saying, like, ah, I'm thinking of going, well, specifically, ironically, to Canada. And uh, which is a country where we lived for 10 years. Uh, technically, we're still based there, although we've been traveling around. But, um, like, it was funny to see, like, in a way, kind of sad, too, in my too, in my view, that people that have never left their uh, place of birth, like, or their country, to go travel around, they have this view that their country sucks so much and that it's all terrible and because of news and it's always corruption and problems and this and that, that they just think that there is a better life somewhere outside. And I say that not holier than thou. It's an, exp an impression that I had and it's an impression that like permeates Brazil. Just like you have that in, in the US, for example, that we are the best country in the world. Or like in Canada, then it's like, <laughs> those Americans think they're the best, but we are the best. And then you have like a Turkey that is like, we are the best. Or France that we are the best. Or England, I'm not sure. But um, like in Brazil, there is this thing, there is this dichotomy of, oh, Brazil is like, we even say it like, God is Brazilian. Like there is even the expression, like comes from um, a famous uh, Brazilian writer. But it's sort of like, and at the same time, it's like, this sucks, let me go somewhere else. As if... Um, Shangri-La was your amazing, like, apotheotic uh, place of, uh, for living would be somewhere else. And, uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, it's all about perspective, timing and, and circumstances. Because uh, right now, I mean, bringing back the uh, topic of war, like, there are so many Ukrainians that wanted to leave and go and live somewhere else. And now everyone just wants to get back home and to feel safe and good home. If there was even like sort of, it was created as a meme, but it was a very true, it's like comparison, like, oh, people in Russia uh, complaining about sanctions. Oh, we cannot go this country, we cannot go this country, we cannot go this country. While Ukrainians, oh, we can go anywhere now, but the only place we want to go mm. is home where we can't go now. Yeah. So I guess it's also about um uh perspective yeah like but to uh, like sort of tying with the the war uh issue with this but it's like and uh, and what we were like i think it's actually related this idea of uh so we see people here in uh in brazil having their like common struggles and then i start thinking hmm, what are my common struggles and then that's one of the things that you were mentioning before what are those things that have been consistently either postponed for later or those things that you've been trying to tackle in different ways then they always come back and in a way i think actually that actually relates a lot unfortunately with the with the war in ukraine which is um you can go well you can go a thousand years and there will be issues between uh, those two countries usually with uh whatever was russia and is russia as the aggressor and trying to conquer um uh, the country that today is Ukraine, 
to the point that they think that Ukraine does not exist, that it's uh, part of the Russian Empire, right? It's a very common, um, unfortunately, view of countries that uh, have been imperialistic by nature, and uh, especially when they have such a long history that tie certain nations together. But the interesting thing when you think about it is like how even like, yes, they've been like screwing up with Ukraine since you have the Holodomor, which is if people haven't seen, they should Google this, which is this huge genocide that happened. People seem to forget that this actually happened and the Russians were the aggressors, like the Soviets were the aggressors in Ukraine. This is in the 1920s. And uh, there is a long history of Russia trying to um, take over and subjugate uh, Ukraine. And then when people now uh, try to deny that history, they are forgetting the long history of this happening. And I'm saying that from the point of view of like this you learn in school. Like, and you don't pay, you don't pay that much attention. You should go to Holocaust. And, uh, but uh, because, especially because of the left uh, bias towards the teaching of history. So they try to not tell about communist um, like genocides, but in the, in this case specifically, the way that I was thinking is like yes, in 2014 they already annexed uh, part of the territory of Ukraine, and the people were trying to deal however they they could in the country. And the for the following presidents that tried to to do something about it, but it was not like a pressing thing, and it's sort of like in a way. It's sort of like, just like in Brazil, I know it's a ridiculous analysis, uh, analogy, but it's like, as in Brazil, they had certain struggles, uh, in, I'm talking population-wise, that are very common. Uh, it's like, in the future, Brazil will be this amazing place, if we, only we were not so lazy and uh, corrupt. And Ukraine has this problem of, one day it will be great if we get out of the shadows of this damn uh, empire trying to take us over. So there is, I think, a parallel between the demons and the dragons we need to face. Yeah, I didn't think about like tying it this way that oh, it's the same recurring problem for centuries and centuries. And it's so true because, uh, like, frankly speaking, like in history, we, in schools, like in history classes, we learn a lot about like colonization and we talk these days there are so many like works and talks and people know about the phenomenon of colonization, but they are more about let's say Western countries and what has been happening in talks, but nobody really talks about Russian colonization and throughout the Imperial Russia and even in 20th and 21st century, because Ukraine is not the only part that they literally colonized, like part yeah, of, of course, it. Like all the, and all it's not, yeah, it's not like, like all, all part of Georgia, like, like yeah. different, different parts, but nobody really talks about like everyone talks about Western colonization, but there is a Russian colonization actually, if to look at it. And it's mm. something that even I, like as a Ukrainian, I haven't been really thinking about it this way until like now there are some like more, let's say, expl explanations on the internet and discussions and like more, um, I guess just more bringing attention to this problem and then you realize like, oh yeah, that's actually has been happening literally like a colonization in yeah. 21st century. Yeah, like it's, uh, to me it's funny because to me it was always very obvious like looking at, uh, at uh, like going to, to Ukraine, like 
well, your mom is Russian, right? So she came from Russia to, to Ukraine. And um, it, it's part of something well, that in the... Soviet Union. That's, so, what, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's the way that Soviet Union would uh, take over certain countries. They tried to do it in Afghanistan, which was the, like one of the countries they were not able to do, just like the US was not able to do. But they were able to, to take over... Well, if you see all the nations that today are part of Russia, what they even call like Republic of Tassan, or if I forgot the name of the place, but like there's all these places that basically have been taken over by uh, the Russian Empire throughout the, the centuries that today is considered Russia. But of course, well, it's the same thing in the Western world, in Brazil and um, like anywhere. But it's just that I think when you go to like, uh, um, like Georgia or Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan or uh, Kazakhstan, all these other countries that actually have a very, very, very different not only ethnicity, but like um, like culture that is actually like distinct from Slavic countries, especially with with Russia. Then to me, it was always very obvious that they were like not only colonizing, but they were actually take over that land and then actually bring their population to mix with the with yeah. the with the place, so that it would basically be embedded in their culture. And in a way, uh, in Ukraine is I mean, in Ukraine it seems to me. That it's a little bit different because the it's sort of like a thousand years ago or so like it started there like uh, like Kiev Rus and all mm -hmm. that stuff so I'm not a specialist on that but my point is sort of like it to me has always been obvious that there was like just like there was a in terms of culture a Western explosion of influence from the United States and a little bit from Britain too before and then before that from France uh, and taking over a lot of uh, countries, sometimes literally. In the case of Brazil, it was Portugal, and then the rest of South America was Spain that took over the indigenous populations, then they brought the slaves. So it's a very specific and obvious colonization effort, um, very brutal, uh, uh, by the way. And then in Slavic countries, and especially in Ukraine, it seemed that it was basically being attacked through um, a bunch of times, and that attack actually made the country in a way sort of like because if you have a part that is influenced by poland a part that is influenced by hungary a part that is influenced by moldova or like so you have all this um from the from the times of the austria austro-hungarian empire mm -hmm. and all that so but they were the attackers if you think about yeah, it too. so like today they consider themselves like oh, i'm ukrainian from this area but if you think about it way before it there were other um yeah. Less, um, less brutal invaders of uh, the land. Not necessarily, but now these days there are also like talks which basically now Poland and Ukraine completely tied, like not tied, how to say it, they completely uh, el uh, eliminated the uh, animosity and really became like brother. Uh, nations uh, because mm -hmm. Poland so much has support to Ukraine and so much like welcoming people and hosting and like doing such an incredible uh, work yeah. to support like all the cause but historically there was also like some tensions let's say because in times of slavery in Ukraine which also not many people talk about which in Ukraine is called not slavery it was called Kriposne Pravo but it's basically the same we had a lot of uh, uh, Polish guys trying to take uh, Ukrainians as a like 
the version of slavery that we had in Ukraine. So basically it was the version that locals had to work on their farms. So that's necessarily they were like, uh, let's say maids or anything like that, but they were doing agricultural work for, let's say the owner. And then a little part of the land or a little part of the harvest they will keep for themselves. But it was incredibly small and most of the work it was done for, for the owner, let's say. And a lot of uh, history is also talking about uh, like Polish, let's say, invaders, uh, like uh, taking uh, like Ukrainians as uh, agricultural slaves. Uh, for themselves. So there was always a lot of pressure also too. And historically we had some like, you know, like in the language you have some phrases like about Russians we have like descriptions or like, not descriptions, like literally phrases that are in the use in the movie sometimes or even as a jokingly you will use them these days. The same was with Poland too. But like these current events, they completely, let's say, healed, how they say, healed that uh, kind of tension or not it's not even like today there was no really like tension or problems yeah. it was different situation like with Russia I'm just giving it as an example that historically we did have that time that like Poland was for Ukraine also as invaders but uh, uh, like these days it's even like funny not funny of course I said but uh, it's strange even to talk about this because right now the relationship between two countries are completely different. Yeah, it's quite fascinating to see this uh, like change historically of uh, the relationship between countries, right? In this case, you have Poland right now uh, doing basically opening their borders to millions of, of Ukrainians to 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 come into the country and i'm i'm not ditching on anyone specifically but like at the same time if we look at the belarus polish border you have thousands i mean it's not millions but you have thousands of migrant of uh, refugees or migrants of people that are coming from uh, asian countries right with lots of people i can't remember exactly which countries that's even part of the problem, like that we're coming. But I know like some people like they're coming even all the way from Afghanistan and they're basically stuck in the Belarusian border with Poland. Right. So, um, of course, in this case, there's literally a war in the country next door that has a lot of uh, um, direct relationships with. And I know personally a lot of when the war started, a lot of my Polish friends, I'm talking about that not as a countrywide uh, phenomenon like a uh, policy but as like the will of the people to help like our friends that are Polish in in uh, uh, in Canada in uh, well in Poland that, that we know they were really lit literally opening their doors to to help and try to do and all the humanitarian effort and also this beautiful thing of the whole country coming together it's like okay this is not time for politics we could have done better in other areas but this we're not going to to let happen and also that thing of like because the the cultures are so similar in a way it's like oh we see our ukrainian brothers going through what we went through because poland if people read the the history of poland they basically 
at some point were invaded by so many different empires that they stopped being officially a country for a while and then they had to dig it back. Well, the, at some point, the Warsaw was completely destroyed, basically. When you go to Warsaw, yeah. like a uh, center city, it's literally all new uh, new buildings. So they went through their struggles, too, yeah. like, in terms of wars. Yeah, and when you think about like how countries that used to be like sworn mortal enemies for centuries, like, uh, like France and, uh, and England, even though today they have jabs at each other and then... Uh, England went out of uh, Brexit and, uh, and all, all those things. But at the same time, you don't see... Uh, it's so unlikely that um, France will invade Germany or vice versa today. And there was a world war that was fought over um, that late, actually not that long ago, if you think about it. Which is also one of the reasons why it caught us by surprise, in a way this um, invasion of, uh, of Ukraine by, by Russia, because at least in school, we always thought the idea of like never again. And we always thought like, um, oh, like this world wars will never happen again. And even um, a full invasion of a country by another has happened, of course, like throughout the last 75 years, but not like this and not in this context, which is, I mean, that's debatable, but like, uh, it's still, it is the situation we're dealing with. We have, what, 5 million uh, refugees from Ukraine. You have, um, I don't know how many people displaced. And even those numbers, like when they say like, oh, 7 million children displaced. So basically, just to contrast with something that it's uh, what I wanted to mention too, that is, uh, let's say, on the uh, stuff we're dealing with here. As at the same time trying to work, work, try to work on ways to to help in the Ukrainian situation and dealing with day-to-day -day life being uh, in Brazil. Um, I was just thinking because I've been spending some time with my nephews, right? Uh, that I have two nephews that are, I mean, I have four nephews, but two are uh, sons of my sister that lives here in, in Vitoria. We are actually recording today at her house and because she had to go travel and she said, oh, Pedro, since you're around, can you uh, come and uh, uh, like uh, go take the kids to school, school and all those things. And to me, there has been a difference because so usually when we come to, to Brazil and since I've uh, like moved out of my parents' house with the Brazilian in Canada and then Ukraine and then the world, um, whenever I come to Brazil, it's usually during holiday times. So there is a lot of people, there's like sometimes 30 people at my parents' house. It's like this whole, and people are usually, the kids are usually on vacation. So I actually get a chance to spend a lot of time with them, but I don't get a chance to spend their day-to-day -day life, right? And then in this case, because we ended up coming to, to Brazil at a different time, I was able to see a little bit of their like daily life of like homeworks and oh, you can only see on the weekends and they have this and that. So, um, and then my sister asked me to, for us to come and, and take, uh, like take the kids to school because she had to go do something. So we're like sort of babysitting and doing that. And at the same time, we were also babysitting my parents' dogs and stuff like that. So it's, um, and it's stuff that we are certainly not used to. Like yesterday yeah. we were like, oh, take the dog for a walk, take the dog to, to, uh, to, uh, to wash. And this is, and I was thinking, 
how much time do you actually spend if you have pets actually thinking about pets and doing things around pets like it's um it's quite fascinating especially for us that like well, we had a plant that we had to give to our neighbors so that the plant wouldn't die. Uh, While like, we're traveling we're somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and so this has been strange. But one of the things that unfortunately has always been on the back of my mind whenever I'm around like kids in general, this happened when I was in Odessa and then we were considering going out of Ukraine before the, the war started. And to me, it kept looking, looking at the news every day more and more obvious that there would be an invasion even though everybody was denying it and then um i remember a few the day before we actually went maybe i commented this in a different episode but um i was walking to the gym and then coming back and then so that decision no we have to leave here um and i saw these kids playing on the playground oblivious to what stupid grown-ups were doing about so at that point someone was planning to bomb like and of course bomb civilians which they have been doing for a while um and then they i remember thinking all oh, these kids and uh, as i mentioned before like i was playing for kids in uh, in ukraine like uh, playing for hundreds of dancers like drums and then sometimes going we were doing workshops and doing uh, I know it's difficult, but it's important to, to mention this. And these people, that's what I'm saying, whenever you think of the migrants or whenever you think of the displaced people, these are the people who are displaced, these kids. And then when I think about it from my, my nephew's point of view, which of course in Brazil there is a lot of violence, a lot of problems that, that, that exist here. Like even for a small, like it's a, ten, a 20 minute walk to their, to, their, um, to their school in the morning. And my sister is a bit um, hesitant to send especially the little one out to go walking because um, one thing that happens is sometimes people that rob or kidnap or do those things they learn the routes of kids so they know where they live and the, and that kind of stuff so uh, there is like a worry a real worry about that kind of stuff so that's why when you can you drive kids and then um, anyway it's one of those things that uh, is there are problems in, in Brazil plus all the hunger and all the like the terrible things that are um, particular to Brazil for centuries too. But then I kept thinking, they do, they're not waking up a 15-year-old, 14-year-old and uh, a 10-year-old. They're not waking up with sirens and alerts. They're not, imagine like even if you are not being attacked right away, you can't go to school, you can't do anything. And then um, that's one of those things, it's a little bit on a tangent, but for me, it's very difficult to navigate that situation of seeing, let's say, the calm and the harmony and nice, uh, niceness of uh, like family life and helping out, like here, like with uh, with the kids and uh, um, seeing about their lives, and at the same time working to try to to help the people that have their lives completely displaced, completely changed. And then when you think about a child that. Um, also, you can interrupt me at any time, but um, I was just going to mention, for example, in terms of trauma, um, when my parents moved to this small town close to Vitoria, where we are, uh, they had a small fence around the house. And that uh, is very uncommon in Brazil. Usually it's like big walls or like grids and electric fences and all sorts of things. But their little house that they bought was with a small fence. And a couple months after they moved, 
they got robbed at gunpoint. The one guy had a gun and a knife and they basically stole like the, the car and the TV and everything. And the, thank the gods, my father decided not to fight back because he never, he doesn't have a gun or he doesn't like know how to fight. Imagine like a 60 something year old going against the dude with a knife and you have kids and, and, and yeah, everyone uh, was at that moment at the house. Everybody was at the house. And so. uh, this deeply impacted one of my nephews, the oldest one, to the point that after my parents really did a security system uh, around the house, he would always, whenever he would hear like something, he would always go out and go see. And I mentioned that because this is trauma for a kid, for a teenage, pre-teen -pre uh, uh, boy, and then imagine what's going on for kids' lives in Ukraine, in those places that doesn't matter how affected it is, it is affected. So if one little robbery will impact the kid so much, imagine this constant bombing, like two months, again, 64 days of full attack in the country. And uh, uh, sometimes certain cities are bombed out of nowhere. And then imagine that you're walking down the street. We saw this in videos like, oh, this shopping mall, we used to walk close to it. Or this uh, place close to Kiev, I used to work and it already impacted me. So imagine the people that I keep imagining, what, if, what would it be if it was a place where uh, I was, um, let's say, my formative years and that place has been uh, systematically destroyed with no good reason. It's um, very difficult to be um, compassionate to the aggressors, even for me that technically do not have a direct dog in this fight. Well, it's also, unfortunately, even much harsher in Ukraine because on international news they are talking about like uh, bombing they're talking about raping women in ukraine so they cover that but not even smallest percent is really covered of really what's happening as a kid so because it's not only about it's already enough to have bombing to have air sirens to have to live in the bomb shelters but how many kids were displaced to different cities how many kids were raped they're talking about raping of women they're not really much talking about rape of small girls teenage girls and small girls there are cases even of almost babies like yeah, i can hardly imagine what they were doing with like babies but not only girls even boys and on top of that, how many kids were stuck in the blocked buildings and basements and shelters and seen dead people there? Their parents died and they yeah. could not understand why my mom is sleeping so long. And it's not one or two cases, it's yeah. hundreds of cases. On top of that, while they were evacuating or going out on streets in those hard cities, how many dead bodies they see around? And can you only imagine what it would do? like even for adult person it's a trauma imagine for a kid yeah yeah it's um this this is a problem that we see uh like in war in general like uh, and even i will say it's a systematic problem in um in the world that the things we consider uh let's say evil grotesque 
is like I'll go on a little tangent, but it's like important point that is it's like the people versus Larry Flint that movie that is uh, the guy that had that pornographic magazine called Hustler and how he was fighting with the the um, I swear there's a, there's a relationship to what we're talking about. Um, just bear with me. So he fought the um, United States Supreme Court in cases of free speech for not only creating, like, let's say, nudity that was considered vulgar in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but also, um, like, explicit sexuality, let's say, that he used to do. And also his um, use of humor, very crass humor, in his cartoons that he would depict politicians and mm. uh, even, like, all Santa Claus and... Uh, uh, like let's say sexy positions and things like that and my point to that is that what he would say like in uh, and again you should watch the movie that is about uh, his life it's very interesting but he would post this photo of those kids being in a palm like having a palm you know thrown at them or they would have like these photos of horrible things it's okay to put this in the news but if you put love it's a it's a forbidden horrible thing and what I see now that it happens is like you can show bombs falling. You can show as the, the thing you were mentioning in the news. There is a very much sanitized version of war. That is like, yes, those people, they are bombing each other over there. There must be some reason that sort of like the... Because people here ask me what I think about the, the, the situation in Ukraine since I live there. But they have no understanding of, of course, what's going on there. Uh, just like people in Ukraine have no understanding of the problems going on in Brazil. Um, but then you have what, what Yano was saying, that is this horrible, really, that she just mentioned, like even saying those things probably will take us out of YouTube, I guess, but it's, uh, it, it's so graphic and so terrible, but we don't consider them worthy of saying, it's sort of like, ooh, like those things we do not talk about, right? So it's, um, it's very difficult, especially for us, like now being confronted with this. It's a reality that exists in many places. Like Ukraine has always had a problem with organ-like uh, smuggling. They had one of the things that is like um, when you have like those girls that they... I forgot the name in English, but like they rent their bellies for people to like uh, oh, surrogate uh, yeah, pregnancies, so, yeah. surrogate pregnancies, those kinds of things. And, um, and it's not that they really want to do it. It's like they're desperate for money and that's one way that they can do that. And you have uh, this terrible, terrible things going on throughout its history. And then now has been amplified to really permeate the whole country and as you said like those things like seeing bodies on the streets like i remember seeing the the one body i actually saw like in in a morgue when we went to in school i remember how much it deeply impacted me when i was a kid as a school you went to work yeah oh. not uh, not as a regular uh, i was a strange kid so um but it was one of those like oh let's go to like uh like a science thingy and then one of the options was to go into the the morgue at the university uh, the student Morgan. Then I said, "Yeah, sure, let's go. I want to to see." Anyway, just mm -hmm. one of those things. Um, but it's again, it's a different thing. It's one thing that Peterson, John Peterson, talks about in terms of uh, psychology uh, issues. That it's when you face things voluntarily or when they're thrown at you yeah. and you have to deal. It's different. And you're a kid. Come on, like you. It's um, those kinds of things that we were hoping that 
uh, no one would have to deal with in the in the world. So it's um, it's very dark situations, and then for us as artists, like something that happened even to to us, I guess we should mention like how can even these things like I create like photography music, and the photography I create it's usually either on the sensual side or on the let's say more um, fairy tale side the stuff that i like to create and then you with dance too it has that element of um of beauty of um uplifting spirit and then when you have to deal with the things we just mentioned like that you're seeing kids that like the rape the the rape situation is very very important like it's very uh terrible what's going on uh, over there and to anyone that is thinking oh it's not really happening it's like okay so this is the first war where this doesn't happen like come on like it's known that you you do uh, looting and raping it's sort of like the motif of most wars especially the ones that where you think you're in the right to to go uh, and invade so of course it's happening and then what can we do as artists how does our art change not in the sense that art changes a re in the way that I see it today, it's a re-understanding of the importance of it. It's sort of like what you were what we started the conversation uh, with that was this all these things that were left uh, undone, all those things that are it's sort of like what I even wrote on my book like this. It tastes like doomsday. It's like the dragon came back to take take over the village. And now you were this small little person with whatever you caught as a version of a sword. And now you have to fight this ginormous like a dragon. This is sort of like how it fits. It feels. And then the horror that you confront that whenever you feel hopeless in a way, that's how I feel about it. It's a mirror to your inadequacies. That's why it's sort of like this personal doomsday. It's like, okay, dude. You were in my case, and just to, to mention, for example, you were not incredibly rich, you were not uh, um, incre incredibly connected to give like um, to, to help, you're not incredibly stable in terms of career. No one is, but I, I am aware of my like in, in, and instability. And at the same time, all the things you didn't get were not because of your bad fortune, but because of your efforts right that tenacity to keep going and all that and so then suddenly the things that i was thinking about is like hmm, if i had done this uh photography work that i had been planning for years to do i could have donated those photos like in ethnic fashion one of the things that i was working if i had done it before it could be more another body of work that i could have donated to to this cause and the fact it's something that is like that um I can't remember who Nietzsche maybe like it's like whenever you don't give your best you're punishing the whole world that kind of mm. stuff and um, at the same time I also believe that we do not owe anyone anything that we were not willing to give otherwise we're slaves to other people so it's sort of like to me it's sort of like this decision that you're gonna be better than what you were even a day ago and if it takes a war to make you transform yourself um, so be it and my hope is that most people won't have to go through this 
observation of terrible things going on around them so that they can understand that they can too like transform their lives and create things that basically change their life for the better now because the past is already past yeah true well but speaking of that uh, you did put together a very cool art project and based on your photography and released we we talked the last episode it was like the day before it was released now yeah. it is released the book with uh, mm -hmm. 56 dancers whom you photographed uh, throughout all these years and from 15 different countries yeah. 10 dancers are from ukraine and uh, it's like yeah we see our weaknesses or things that we haven't done etc but that should not be a substitute for seeing what is happening today and what we have today and what we can do today even with all those regrets of oh if we did in the past we could have done today more yes so that's the sort of idea for future but we still today can do many things and uh this is also one of the examples yeah like um what jan is referencing is something we mentioned on the previous episode so you can check it out at uh, pedrobonato.com slash ventre or slash book ventre is v-e-n-t-r-e ventre is the the word for just briefly it's a word for wound it's a womb like uh like the belly in portuguese uh, belly dance is called Dança do ventre, which is the dance of the womb, if you'd say, like, it's a... And we don't use the word belly, we use a more intimate word, word for, uh, not necessarily the uterus, but, like, the, the belly, it's sort of like, the, the womb is like the place of birth, the place of uh, beginnings, of um, something that has been sacred to humanity since the beginning of time. Like, the first cave paintings were of animals, and... Um, woman goddess and woman like fertility like there's that kind of stuff and then uh, i thought well as we're talking about this you see this ginormous dragon and then you see that your sword is made of wood so what are you going to do about it right and uh, there is this um goliath uh like um situation going on too that we always have in our lives and then what i thought was like okay i have this body of work of like 10 years of photographs one of the projects was in uh, photographing belly dancers right from from around the world and then i thought you know what i have some images that i'm really proud of that i would love to why don't i just give that as uh, something that i can give to to help in this case i wanted to give to specifically women and children uh, in ukraine which is why i created a book and then all the profits from the book which is self-published uh will go to to women and children and then throughout the like a few weeks i was uh, selecting the images talking to all the dancers that were featured in the in the book to get their permission to to have the their images in the book and like everybody basically said yes of course um including many dancers from uh from ukraine from russia from canada from mexico from china from like um they were like very happy to give their images to 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 this project and then of course i don't have a big following or anything but then i thought well even if it is again i should take my own advice like even if it is just a few hundred dollars just um whatever right that um we can give to causes in ukraine they're helping these women and these children and these people that are um seeing these horrors 
And then uh, later on, maybe they will learn that uh, these people from this amazing women from all over the world and uh, this guy like decided, no, 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 my photos will go to this uh, to this cause. It's the literally least I could uh, I could do. And uh, yeah, like it's um, yeah, to me, it's uh, a bit, uh, let's say, you got a bit sensitive because like oh, I wish I could have done more and I will do more. But um, it is something and it was really cool to see like, OK, the book was published sent let's um, do and then i was um, these days like uh, oh cool already 10 people bought it this many people bought it you know like so that was uh that was uh, and like preparing the books to to send out to to folks and knowing that it will it will go and then thinking that this is for the the long haul and that's um so again you can take a look at the book it's uh it has some uh cool photos and tying up to something that i even wrote in the book itself was that um, sometimes we don't know how our art will impact or the meaning it has. And then one of the things that I, I have always been interested in this idea, well, since like we created the Blue Dot Ensemble, my, our band, it's a little bit on the freezer for now, but certainly in spirit around, of mixing cultures from a music and dance point of view. And then uh, the comment I did last time, last episode about belly dance, that belly dance embodies the idea of this good multicultural situation. That is, you fall in love with the culture from another country that becomes suddenly um, her on the land, that seems exotic, and then you start embodying it. And at the same time that you respect that culture and you really try to understand it and it connects you in a brotherly way, it also something that you infuse it with yourself. That thing will never be the same because you were part of it. And now imagine all these connections going on around the world about all sorts of topics where culture is not considered, this is my culture, this is your culture, no, this is our culture. And this is an idea that I only saw before from a peace point of view, is like listening to Carl Sagan talking about the pale blue dot, uh, being thinking of science as, as he says too, as a candle in the dark, as a way to, uh, get everybody lifted and then art is a way for us to probe our own unconscious and our own um, will to live that is all like as this um, uh, Brazilian uh, poet and uh, singer said that uh, castles are first born in your imagination before they find uh, themselves in the in the in the real world and I think that's one of the things that uh, May Art point, that's another thing he said, uh, Oswaldo Montenegro is the guy in case you want to check it out, check him out. Uh, May Art point somewhere, even if she herself doesn't know the answer. Hmm. So it's, um, it's one of those things that I knew from, um, let's say from a um, personal point of view of peacetime and personal aspiration of, to be a part of it. And now it's sort of like, I didn't wake up with the bombs, but metaphorically I did. You know, our family is there. We are a bit further away, but we were in East, like in Istanbul when things started, which is about a thousand kilometers away from where the bombs were falling. So in a way now I'm re-understanding this um, goal, this vision of this connect, interconnected world um, and how my art is important and art will make a difference in terms of the what we aspire to be. and. Uh, a world that is filled with beauty is a world that is worth saving.
right? It's not by chance that in Ukraine people are saving their icons of uh, like Christ images or like even their historic uh, things. People are putting their lives at risk to safeguard artwork, which is remembering how important those things are for us. And uh, just imagining you yourself going out of your house right now and not being able to come back, not knowing if you're going to be alive. Imagine those little artworks or those little things that are so important in your life and how much art is important mm -hmm. in the way that you create your life. Imagine you're going away right now. What would you take with you? Mm -hmm. Right? Would it be your passport or would it be that little drawing your kid made? That kind of stuff. So just to like finish off, like to me, it has been this um, no excuses. Let's just get things done, even if it's a small thing. Like it's all part of this wartime art thing that we are uh, dealing with right now. And um, this is a reminder, at least for me, and then you can take over um, that uh, something I wrote in my uh, in the preface to the book. But I really believe is that if we feel this small, little things make a big difference and uh, dragons can be beaten and art can be a sword. And the memories, they are not for the sake of remembering something, but for the sake of learning the lesson in order to avoid the same mistakes in the future. And those objects, uh, art objects uh, specifically, can be uh, great reminders for us of which lessons we exactly learned and uh, uh, which lessons we need to remember for the future. Yeah. And I guess with that, I am Pedro Bonato. This is Jana Komarnitska. Thank you for being brave and strong. And uh, well, thank you for being on the cover of my book. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you for creating it. Yeah. And uh, it has been a um, strange month, strange two months of uh, dealing with uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, it, um, if you were inspired by um, our uh, talk here, uh, leave a comment leave a like we'd love to hear from you um if you'd like to take a look at the book again it's uh, pedrobonato.com slash ventry or pedrobonato.com slash book you will find it there on my website it's plastered all over we'll uh, put link in the description to the uh, episode two yes and um you can follow us on social media too um again pedrobonato to tease yana underscore dance, dance. And uh, we will see you on the next episode.